the thing I've been talking about a lot recently with people is, you know, there's there's no point in MQLs. And I, I guess a lot of marketers would disagree with that. But the MQL discussion is becoming less and less relevant uh, within the business, especially to a CEO. Let's go. I sell products, not advertising. This monkey business is in your blood, under your skin. You're not getting out, you're just getting in, you're only getting started. People will think. What I tell them to think. Oh, have I got your attention now? You have part of my attention. You have the minimum amount. This guy's got the right idea. Why don't we begin? Welcome to episode 18 of Built to Scale with me, your host, Mitch Fanning. For those tuning in for the first time, the goal of this bi-weekly podcast is to have meaningful conversations with interesting people with a focus being on helping B2B SaaS companies go to market, scale, and win. In this episode, I sit down with Edwin Abel, the CMO of Modular, a business payments platform company who is building a new digital payment service to make money flow more efficiently through both businesses and the economy, which is a good thing. Now, for those not familiar with Edwin, he's an experienced operator in both the EMEA and the international SaaS space with a deep expertise in revenue generation marketing, enterprise sales, and go-to-market partnership. Before Modular, Edwin led marketing at Aperio, a global strategic partner of Salesforce in Europe where he grew pipeline from scratch to over $100 million in just four years. And if that wasn't enough, Edwin also writes a weekly email where he gives practical advice on how to successfully run and build world-class marketing and sales teams, which I look forward to every week. And we'll provide a link in the show notes for those of you who might be interested in receiving it as well. During the conversation, we cover a lot of ground and discuss everything from marketing, sales, leadership, and even personal growth. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. So without further ado, let's get into it. Uh, We now have visual on target. So Edwin, welcome to the show. Hi, Mitch. Great to chat. So today we're going to cover a a lot of ground in such a short period of time. But I think I'd like to start off by asking you about your transition from sales to marketing. Specifically, you know, what prompted the switch and and were there any challenges uh, during that period? There were definite challenges. I think uh, so my my background, I started as, as a recruiter for many years and then ran my own business from from the sales side. I think how um how I ended up more on the, the marketing side of the fence was um, a bit by coincidence, really, just that uh, I, I, I naturally gravitated in my my business to doing more of the marketing sort of function tasks as, long right. as, as well as the, the team and, and leadership stuff. And and it was just a pure uh, chance that, uh, uh, you know, I was connected with, with a company in the ecosystem I was working and, uh, and and it was more one of those scenarios that you you... you got to know them and uh, and, and transitioned across not from necessarily a traditional background of of working for ten years in marketing. So it was it was more uh, you know, I knew lots on the sales process and, and business side, but uh, probably the you know out and out being a marketer was a bit was a bit newer. And uh, I, I think the challenge is um is is great on the one hand in the sense you have a great basis for looking at the marketing function from a different angle, you know, more from a commercial and sales point of view not that the other side is not valid but it does it does give you a different slightly different perspective to be on a similar wavelength to sales leaders um and then i think i mean i think i think the, the real the biggest challenge was was really from a credibility and you know proving of value within the business is, is much harder from a marketing standpoint I, I was always used to having a quota and a target or you know a kind of a number whether that be individual or a team, and that was your marker of success. And I think it's it's really challenging on the marketing side then to feel that that sort of credibility within the business just on a pipeline number and 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 really seeing that sales 
you know, rightly so has has the lens of the CEO or, or the senior leadership team. So I think for me, it was adjusting to that sort of perception thing of how how you get comfortable with the value that you add. Now, do you think that marketing leaders should spend some time in sales? I think it would definitely be valuable for any marketing person to to spend some time in sales or just get more thoroughly embedded in the sales uh, process or, you know, experiencing it. I think that's why uh, a lot of the people I'd hired in the past and have grown successful in marketing actually a lot of the time started inside sales because you, you do get that um, appreciation of, of selling and then you can use those skills really effectively. I think to my point before, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, people who haven't come from sales background you know, don't have great marketing experience. But I've certainly found, I guess, from my personal um, journey that it, it really has helped me because I, I do have a, a much, much more sophisticated or granular understanding of, of what's needed. And I think if you don't have that, you definitely don't seek it because it will just help you do your job better. And I think also, if you look at the way the marketing functions evolved, I, I've sort of landed into this scenario, but, but you know, the the angle is much more sales focused now rather than five years ago it was loads around pipeline and and uh, you know kind of lead generation and now it's what does that mean from a closing of business and revenue perspective so so marketing is really aligned much closer with sales anyway and so i think I think that that again that has been beneficial you know from my experience to actually uh, to actually add more value and, and have a greater understanding of what what it really takes uh, to drive revenue. Yeah, you're starting to really see this. I, I wouldn't even say start, but I think everyone's starting to come to the realization that on on the marketing side, even things like pipeline, uh, even to go that far, mm-hmm. are starting to be vanity metrics, in in a sense. I agree. Uh, yeah, uh, they're, they're, they can be leading indicators for sure, but that's starting to be kind of where that you know the home for those type of metrics are. Now, when I was doing the research, I came across something you had written, and it really intrigued me, and I, I kind of wanted to talk to you about it. You had mentioned, uh, "quote the buyer's quest will replace the persona." Uh, end quote. So, mm-hmm. when I read that. I, I actually agreed with it and I was intrigued by it and I wanted to ask you about it. Uh, can you kind of elaborate on that? What did you mean by it? And give me your thoughts. Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, I can't take credit for it. It wasn't a concept I came, came up with, but there's a, there's a great blog I've read over the years um, from a guy called Tony Zambito, I believe is the correct pronunciation. I don't know if you've read his, his work, but uh, he, he probably foremost, um, con, uh, for leadership content with regards to sort of personas and how to segment personas and you know what the future of that uh, area looks like and, um, and and he's got some great stuff and it was actually his post where I came across it I think a year or so ago uh, and I think I think it it completely resonated with me because I, I, the reason being was because I've often trained uh, trained my inside sales reps or change marketing or trained sales reps. Uh, on on the sort of this thing called the the hero's journey, which was uh, Joseph Campbell's uh, um, uh, sort of a framework, uh, which um, is also fascinating. Is is what a lot of Hollywood films are based on in terms of how you um, you know how you go on a journey through um, through kind of through 
things that happen to you that are bad and then good and then how you overcome them by finding mentors. And I was often training that from a sales point of view with the prospect that, that the prospect is is on a quest with, uh, with you um, and you've got to appeal to that quest. And really all it simply means is that it's, it, people are now searching for something uh, and searching for knowledge and searching for an answer. They're on a quest for an answer. Um, they, it, it's a slight shift from you know, sort of the, 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 the journey aspect or the, 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 the persona in the sense of it's, it, you're looking at the person sort of very, you call, um, you know, from a flat perspective. And, and the, the buyer's quest is more looking at it from a lot of different angles and not just obsessing around the title. And, and a few variables, but what, what are the real things that certain individuals want to solve for and, and what's the knowledge they need? And that's that's how you should approach trying to engage with people. And if you do that right, it, it, it can be much more effective. As marketers, uh, we sometimes start off with persona development in a static uh, mm-hmm. in a static way. In other words, we, we come up with some assumptions and we might look at some data but uh but we we start with that and even if we can get data from internal sources or external sources uh it sits there and it's good for uh developing content etc but it's sometimes not very uh useful for sales or for uh for for any other teams now speaking of the buyer's quest though and obviously the customer's journey uh do you feel that there there ultimately needs to be somebody ultimately responsible for owning or at least managing or overseeing kind of the buyer's quest in an organization versus say the handoffs? Yeah, I think you, you, you certainly could. I think your last um, point on, on personas, I've always had an issue with personas myself, maybe from more sales lens because I've never found them particularly helpful and I think a lot of the time marketing creates them sales never use them and it, it, it's just a, 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 a tick box exercise for marketing to show in a deck that we understand our personas but the real world application of it is really negligible and so I, I think it, I think it could be helpful I think in in many ways you could look at having a resource internally that that it's not just a sales enablement person, is is a sales trainer and an owner of uh, the buyer's quest, if you wanted to call it that. But really, the, the, the trainer has a deep understanding and ownership of, you know, what are the key uh, answers that our customer base are looking for or prospects are looking for. Uh, and, and then really ingraining that in a regular training cadence with all the sales and marketing teams together. I certainly think if you put that structure in place, it would be incredibly beneficial because I feel the persona stuff really, really fails to to get through a lot of the time or in my experience. Um, I'd love to meet people who have done a successful job of it and and understood their, how they've done that, but I've, I've never seen it done that well, personally. Someone I just interviewed, uh, Chris Nixon of Caliber Mind, they have a new approach to attribution, which is chain-based, and it's mm-hmm. looking at the actual uh, conversion paths and and we were talking about the idea where it's it's more it really doesn't matter necessarily about the persona as much as it is the action that they've taken to get to mm-hmm. close win and looking at that mm-hmm. reverse engineering it and and that could be useful in a persona but at the end of the day it's uh it, it it makes it less static i think something too um that's uh, i guess connected to that is 
in one of the articles you had written that C- CEOs are now turning to the chief revenue officer or the CROs to create that alignment uh, between mm-hmm. sales and marketing and even customer success for that matter. Uh, do you see this pattern continuing? And if so, do you see it ultimately replacing the CMO? Uh, how, do, how do you look at that or what's your thinking around that? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, I, I, I created a post on, I think the title was how the CRO will replace the CMO. And then I sent it to a fair few people in my network and I got a mixed response. On the one hand, people saying, yes, you know, completely agree. Uh, but on the other, some, some fairly um, robust responses in the sense that, you know, didn't think my point was was valid at all. Uh, there'll always be a, a place for a CMO, and I think that's I think that's correct. I think the premise in my article was not to say that chief marketing officers will disappear. I just think, like any role, CIO, CTO, or you know, CRO, CMO, any of these types of C-suite or, or equivalent, it, the, the emphasis is just shifting essentially. And I think uh, the CMO who's at the forefront of that shift and understands the relationship that the CEO wants uh, and the CRO wants within that equation will do will do well. And for me, that's the the, the lens on revenue generation, right? And 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 and, and it, then if you're a very brand focused marketer, doing all that great creative brand stuff, but connecting it heavily to revenue and, and getting that understanding very clear within the business. I think my point on why the CMO will vanish is that the CRO is is encroaching on our space a little bit. Um, in, in that sense of responsibilities because they're looking after the end-to-end revenue cycle. And I think the CMOs who don't get on board with that shift and try and adapt to that organizational fit with the CRO and what the CEO expects, those people will will struggle. Um, that's that's my thoughts overall. But I, I certainly don't think CMOs are going to be going any anywhere anytime soon. There's still uh, a healthy appetite for the role. I just think it's it's you've got to be on board with the shift and how it fits within the organizational structure. No, absolutely. And I mean, seeing as this is your third marketing uh, leadership role, taking what we just talked about, is there any advice that you would give, say, a, a first-time CMO regarding how they should approach, say, their first 100 days? Yeah. Again, I, I think the I think the difference from a CMO to then a a uh, sort of if you're a VP or a director of an area, it depends on your level of you know size of organisation, obviously, and where you fit. But um, the thing that you'll find stepping in CMO role, you really have to get your head around a a broader spectrum of of responsibilities. And I give you an example. What you know, my background is more from the demand generation marketing angle, and you know I can do that very comfortably. But then. Once you step into the CMO role or a role where you're looking after a much broader set, you've really, really got to be so conscious around not neglecting the areas that you might not be so strong in because they're they're incredibly valid as part of the overall structure. And what I mean by that is then the, the brand, the website, digital funnels, all the other components that that come into the CMO's responsibility rather than just being a singular focus on one area. And I think the quicker you can get your head around that in your first 100 days, you'll be much more successful. Uh, someone who I who I met um, as a CMO a few, few years ago, he gave me a really good piece of advice in that he said, you know, look at your, uh, look at your, um, how you measure yourself 
uh, on a regular basis in terms of like the behavioral attributes of what makes a great CMO. Define those and then be and have those daily to look at. So, for example, uh, you know, building a world class team, uh, owning content and collateral, you know, building a differentiated brand. These are all your sort of attributes that that, that when slotted together come together to make a great CMO. And you sort of look at each dial in a real time perspective. Am I am I dedicated too much to demand gen at the moment? And am I completely forgetting what we're doing with the web and the digital side? And and then that helps you balance out because it brings you back to what to to to, to a real focus on each area. Um, so I guess to summarise, I think just the quicker you can get your head around a broader set of responsibilities and not just thinking you're great at one particular area um, and neglecting the others, the, the, the sooner you you focus on the areas you you actually may be a bit weaker in uh, and start dealing with issues in those areas or the challenges you'll have the quicker you'll get up and running that i think that would be my my learning no that's great advice and obviously one of those areas being financial accountability now modular the company you're you're now at is mm-hmm. the is the second blenheim and chelcott portfolio company uh, you've worked with and so everyone knows who who that is it's the it's the venture partner to, to modular and, and you were also at, a, at the company hive which was also a, a portfolio company of theirs now it's very unique yeah. because you know a lot of times marketers or senior marketers don't get that opportunity to be in that type of unique relationship with a venture partner. So I guess the question is what general advice would you give other CMOs uh, or marketing leaders when it comes to reporting or presenting results or metrics to in- investors or or even the board? Yeah, great question. Uh so I guess to recap with Lennon Chalcott, they're a uh, venture builder. They're one of the UK's leading venture builders. They they have a unique model um, where they support uh, with internal structures um, and processes, um, you know, a bit like an incubator uh, yes. and how they go about things. And so that provides an amazing um, you know, kind of foundation to help them scale because they, they can really speed up the execution time on a lot of things. And um, I think what I've learned over the time, uh, directly to your question, is is that it, things are always you know tough, and you know there, there's there's a lot of demands expected, and you have to show results. That's fairly normal. That that wouldn't be too uh, too too alarming for anyone to understand. But I think the key is it's a couple of things. So one, it's about it's about momentum, the journey, and the confidence. That, that you can provide, and, and and that will help you in your reporting and, and how you and how you kind of deliver information, and and being incredibly proactive with it, and not hiding behind uh, you know kind of bad news or you know giving misleading updates because you're worried about uh, you're worried about the, the performance or you know not hitting the numbers you're doing. I think we all have to hit the number, but I think it's really important you tell a good story alongside it that, that's obviously not fabricated, but you're giving the, the investors confidence that, that there's a there's a journey that's happening right now and, and this is where we're going to get to and really selling that um, in, in the authentic way that you need to do it. I think that's really important. And then on the other side is obviously just reporting the, the key metrics, which I'm sure a lot of CMOs or marketing heads would understand but, you know, around how it links to revenue, understanding the full 
funnel is really important, you know, really, really getting granular on knowing where all your channels are coming from. And, and then if you are, of course, because you have a deep understanding of the metrics, how do, how do, you, how do you know to course rectify or, or how do you give it your best shot or understand um, get, or be able to explain where you're going? I think, you know, that would be my advice if, 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 if you're, you know, do, if that's the same expectations from your CEO as, as any investors. Now, do you find, and this is this is just um, a bit off script, but do you find in, in giving uh, uh, your situation, are they more interested in, uh, like say, attribution and, and return, or do they want to see uh, how the funnel specifically, uh, which is something you know you're probably looking at more more often uh, than than the attribution side, um, do you find that they're they're interested in that side as well? Mm-hmm. I think a bit of both. I think definitely the attribution is important. There's actually a great business within Blenheim Chalcott called Foster, who actually um, uh, do a lot of marketing attribution work, um, very data science led. And so that that's really helpful for, for marketers. And I, I think if you can use tools like that to understand your attribution model or where where you know where your funnel is is broken down is is incredibly beneficial. And I think on the same token, it's also very, very helpful that you have a good end-to-end understanding of your funnel. Um, so not, I mean, not just the attribution. I guess that I think they're two different things, both with value rather than one or the other. In my thoughts. No, thank you for that. There was something that I had listened to in a podcast just a couple of days ago, talking about how marketing is often the hardest role to hire for. And I'm not sure if they were talking specifically for leadership role or for uh, filling in the, the various teams. You've scaled several teams now. Do you find that's the case or how do you see it when, you, when you're building out teams? Yeah, I mean, so I think, I think marketing teams are are obviously hard to build you know i mean it's hard to build a good good team in any uh, situation obviously the the uk market at the moment is very uh, is very led by candidates uh, from uh, especially in the tech scene so th- there's a lot of jobs currently within tech companies and and there's probably not enough candidates so the, the pool is challenging and um, to find to find really great people so that's how you how do you build your network and how do you get referrals and how proactive you are as a marketing leader really makes a big difference. I mean, if, you could, if you've if you got, say, 10 open heads at one time and you get three to five of those through your network, they'll, they'll be really good caliber generally and, and, uh, make life lo- and make life a lot simpler for you than getting the team up and running. Um, the, the other thing is, I mean, I think overall, because I manage you know, sales and marketing teams, I, I think it's hard to say one's harder than the other, but I, I do think hiring great salespeople you know probably is one of the hardest things to do i think it's probably harder than uh scaling the marketing side of of it so when 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 i've built teams with both sales and marketing people it's it's really really hard to actually get get great salespeople so i think that is the the real emphasis that um you probably need to focus on because that makes such a huge difference because you at the end of the day you can actually build a fantastic marketing team but if the sales team are are not up to scratch it it it, it essentially ruins all the good work that a marketing team can do so marketing success is is prevalent and, and built on also having strong sales people and if you get that wrong it it really messes up 
both both orgs I found. Now I just want to unpack that just a little bit. When you say sales, do you find it's like say the SDRs that are the biggest challenge or the AEs or just combination? Yeah, I think so. The the AEs I'm talking about, so account executives or yeah. enterprise reps or mid mid market, they are the hardest. I mean, the pathway I've always chosen in my career is to build the SDR functions as a training ground for uh, sales talent so that you get them and you create the right habits and processes, get people with the right mindset, and then you treat it as a conveyor belt to coach and train into sales positions. And then and then the, the fit can normally work very well. Uh, it's not that it doesn't fit when you, when you hire outside account executives, but it, it, I, over the years, it's really, really hard to get the right people um, most of the time. And so uh, if you can structurally build some form of training ground for your future sales people, then that really helps you when, when you start scaling. Now, do you, uh, as far as the SDRs are concerned, what camp do you fall in? Do you feel they should be uh, embedded in the marketing team or they should be a part of that sales org? On that one, for me, it's within marketing org, but I, I'm not sort of stuck stuck on the line that that's right for everyone. I think it's it, it's right for me because that's the type of team I, I try to build who are very sales-led. Uh, and then I've also looked to create a very good relationship with my peer, whoever the sales leader is. And so we, we create a nice integrated uh, environment to, to work in. But it's not to say it shouldn't also go in the sales. Or, I think it just depends on the sales leader yeah. or the marketing leader and, and what's best. Like, in, If the sales leader loves demand gen and prospecting and you know knows the process behind it, then absolutely should, you know, good fit for that, good fit for that person. But um, again, over the years, I found a lot of the sales VPs or CROs, you know, naturally are more interested in more the A type uh, outputs and the, uh, and the revenue stuff, uh, which which is obviously valid, but I, I find their focus is on that. And then, and, and if it's the wrong leader, then for the, the SDRs don't add a lot of value, or they're not managed well enough, or they don't have the structures in place to succeed. So I think it just more depends on who the leader is in both orgs and where, and, and that basis should form where you think the SDR function should sit. That's great. So before we move on to the rapid fire round and close down the conversation, one thing I've noticed since we've been connected is, you know, you take learning and and personal development seriously and uh, you seem to be pretty well read. You know, are there any books that you find yourself rereading over and over again, or at least referring back to? Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, I I work within an ed tech uh, for, for for a while and massive believer in, in personal development and you know sort of this everyday learning uh, habit you should generate um, same ethos we have a module around the growth mindset stuff you know and being open minded and you know you never know everything and you've you've got to constantly develop and I think um, one great book which I've it's quite a popular one but it's probably one which I do refer back to a lot is the uh, um, Brendan Burchard one, The High Performance Habits. I've, okay. I've read a lot of similar types of books over the years. I, I think why I why I particularly like that one is because it's it's got a lot of practical advice. Uh, it's it's not 
too the- theoretic or you know sort of high level it, it it gives you a good emphasis of you know creating a long-term strategy for yourself but it's got some great tactical things that you, you can embed in your sort of daily uh, daily routine so i think for, for me that one um is, is probably the one especially in the last two years you know constantly have it open and refer back to on a very regular basis and i also buy it for everyone that i ever hire or comes into the team it's the first book that uh, that i give them uh, it's high performance habits great i'll actually uh, i'll put that in the show notes so there'll be a link to it so mm-hmm. As we get into the rapid fire, I'm going to ask a statement and you have about 60 seconds or less to respond. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah, shoot. Artificial intelligence fills you with hope or dread? Pick one. Uh, hope for sure. I think um, the, the great thing about AI is uh, the, the, it, it, the enabler for doing things quicker, faster, more intelligently and allowing us humans to focus on what we can do better, uh, more you know, the EQ stuff. So definitely hope. Your favorite app or tool and why? Definitely would be Mixmax. I've used that for many years. I I, I found it a, a couple of years ago from, from the SDR function. Super simple, very visual, very engaging. Just a bit very, really, really good tool and great customer support. Um, so yeah, uh, go check it out. It's mixmax.com. Do you agree or disagree with the following statement? A good decision today is better than a perfect one tomorrow. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree with that. I think um, I think a, a lot of people can get obsessed with perfection. I think the best thing to do is to create momentum in any scenario. And to do that, you have to make fast decisions. And then uh, there's a great book by, uh, I can't pronounce the surname, but um, it, it, the book's called Persuadable. And in that, it talks around how great leaders um, shouldn't be fixed. You know, you should be able to change your mind regularly and it shouldn't be a sign of weakness. What do you believe that others disbelieve? If we stick to the marketing side and, and, and experience, the thing I've been talking about a lot recently with people is, you know, there's there's no point in MQLs. And I, I guess a lot of marketers would disagree with that. But I think there's a few points on what we've touched upon earlier in the conversation. The MQL discussion is becoming less and less relevant. Uh, within the business, especially to a CEO, I think you need to redefine what that means and 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 create probably bespoke lead process or terminologies to your business, and not just follow the the bandwagon of 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 the, the MQL approach over the last two to three years. Yeah, I think as handoffs become redefined, that handoff or the the qualification from marketing to sales almost becomes redundant in in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I yeah. agree there. So what have you changed your mind about lately? For many, many years, I'd, I'd, I'd sit and train people and bang on about saying, you know, you've got to add value to a prospect and what's, you know, what's, what's the value and, and, that, and that, that's valid on the one extent. But I think, I think what I've kind of changed my mind about recently, it's not about, you know, constantly adding value, you know, sending an email with a link constantly adding value which is helpful naturally than being pushy but i think it's how do you be actually more intelligent or thoughtful about opening conversations with people and 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 prospects rather than this adding value thing all the time so no just thinking being a bit more clever about you know what's the conversation i can instigate with them rather than just being lazy by popping over and adding value 
blog post to someone, um, which you know a lot of people do appreciate. But I think that's one thing from a training and perspective is to stop people thinking about this add value point, but to not more think, how do I create more conversations and open more conversations as, as a nurture process? Yeah, agreed. And I also feel that's, you know, I know that personalization has become kind of an, a buzzword these days, but it is really true that when things are personalized, even from, from the, the outbound side, usually it's received better versus just, you know, just following up or checking in and, and cr- trying to create value that's that's uh that 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 say isn't as personalized or 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 not as timely as 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 uh as needed so edwin really appreciate you agreeing to be a guest today and uh and chatting no problem, Mitch. uh where can people uh, find you on the on the interwebs yeah no um yeah been been great talking mitch so um thanks as well um in terms of um so modular uh, uh just give you a quick one on that we obviously we're fast growing scale up within the payment space so we uh we essentially we we build payment alternatives for digital businesses so um if if, you know if that's of interest um if you're a commercial business and you're looking to improve your payments processes uh within marketplaces umbrella companies uh, fintechs then we have a unique and very simple api that developers love to use and uh really help provide automation and, and reduce a lot of of manual processing and efficiencies. So you can find out more about us on uh, modularfinance.com. Uh, if you are a developer or that, that way inclined and very technical, there is a sandbox so you can go around and play on the API, um, which a lot of people like to do. In terms of my my personal site, I've uh, I, I've got a site, edwinarble.com, which has a weekly newsletter on marketing resources. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, handle is at edarble. Okay, perfect. Thank you again. And it's been great. Thanks, Mitch.